0: Well, folks, good to be back. It's been a week or so since we've been here. lot's happened in that time. <clears throat> we've had a little illness, but we've recovered. And they're so glad that we can be with you this morning, including my wife, who's uh, able to join me this weekend. Uh, I uh, am pleased to bring her and introduce her to you. And I know you're anxious to meet her, as the case may be. Often, <clears throat> such is the case. She's uh, kind of behind-the-scenes Supporter, do you want to stand, Carolyn, and just uh, so you know who who she is and where she is. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your warm welcome to us in in the church here. We are feeling very blessed, so appreciate the accommodation that's been provided, and uh, really looking forward to getting to know you folks. Carolyn's a behind-the-scenes kind of supporter in my work. This is very much a team effort, and I'm very grateful for her partnership in uh, ministry, and I am pleased that you can meet her and that she can meet all of you today. Mostly, uh, Carolyn keeps the home fires burning, <clears throat> and um, while I'm away, getting things ready, <clears throat> see if we go the right direction here, um, I might have to get you to, oh, let's see, do I have to, maybe it's, maybe that's the problem, there, <clears throat> there we go. Yeah, and we have a few other things to take care of at home, including a couple of little dogs that I mentioned. Uh, I think I showed those, or put them in the newsletter. Uh, and we have extended family at home and so on. So, uh, uh, you know, there's there's lots to be done back there, but uh, really think it's important that we uh, are able to connect together, at least occasionally. <clears throat> um, much of uh, what I'll be doing... <clears throat> um, <clears throat> During this transition time, we'll be from our home, and uh, partially, as I said, this is due to where we are in life and the time we want and need to spend with extended family. We've had some uh, commitments in the first part of the year that has made my uh, presence among you a little bit irregular, but as we get to the end of February, end of March, uh, things will smooth out a little bit more. I'll probably be here for couple of Sundays each month and the week between at least, a couple of days on each end, that kind of thing. Um, It's true that the work of a transition pastor is somewhat different from that of a resident pastor uh, or an interim pastor. For one thing, uh, I don't expect to be here that long, and I'm not here to do some of the things that a resident pastor might regularly do such as leading in weddings and funerals and that kind of thing. I'm going to be leading a lot on Pastor Brett and the elders for some of these other kinds of ministries. At the same time, I hope that I can in some way model a little of what a resident pastor's ministry should look like, preparing the services themselves and preaching, and uh, also helping develop ministries of evangelism and discipleship among all ages. Equipping people to do the work of the ministry. I always say there's uh, three basic things that a pastor needs to be committed to. One, of course, is preaching and teaching the word. And uh, the second is a pastoral care. You know, pastoral care is really, really an important issue. And the third is equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. Uh, so those are the biggies. And, of course, pastors have uh, strengths in one of those or the other in greater measure. The uh, equipping the saints to the ministry, for the work of the ministry is a kind of administrative management uh, area of ministry. So anyway, uh, mostly I'm here to help you prepare and guide in the calling of your next pastor. Uh, the first part of this process is a lot with uh, laying some groundwork about how to proceed during this time. And along with Pastor Brett and Tracy and the board, uh, we want to do everything we can to ensure That ministry proceeds with intention regarding true worship, discipleship, discipling, that is, and evangelism at every level. As things proceed, uh, we also want to become quite intentional about an assessment of the church's needs at this time. So I want to commit to doing a lot of listening in different ways, uh, spending time with you, visiting, perhaps in your homes, asking questions. In fact, I I really do like to get into people's homes, if at all possible, because there's something about seeing people and listening to them in their context that really helps to understand uh, what their lives are all about and what the church is all about in this context. Eventually, you might want to do a bit of a formal survey of what your thoughts are about the life and ministry of the church and uh, how it can perhaps be tweaked. And the assessment period is a time to collect data in order to get a decent uh, description of the church and the community in which it serves. And this will take a little time, but it is an important step in seeking to reach a conclusion about the kind of church that God is calling you to be in these days and the kind of pastor that is needed. And regarding speaking during this whole process in the services themselves, as I have opportunity and with others who speak or lead, I want to focus on sort of the basic aspects of the Christian life and of what church life and ministry should be all about. So from the Bible, we will visit various themes that are basic to the Christian faith and church ministry. And of course, one of the ministries that I try to emphasize in different ways throughout this transition time is the importance of prayer in this process. I really appreciate the fact that their initiatives have already been taken to emphasize prayer among you, as in the meeting that is held on Monday nights. Thankful for uh, those who have given leadership to that. But I hope that we can expand on that and involve as many as possible in prayer during this time. It's an Old Testament reference, but it's great relevance to the church today that you're very familiar with, no doubt. That if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven <clears throat> and, uh, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So as we go ahead, you'll get to know more about me through the messages and through our work together and I'll get to know more about you and together I hope that we can get to know the Lord better and uh, one another in this context. So this is a time of uh, change for you and uh, your church. Change and how we adapt to it is what I want to speak to you about this morning. And based on a passage from Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 8, where it says, uh, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged both off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs that he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, uh, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. This is a story about change, not the kind of change that was desirable, but it's amazing to see how God used that change for, for good. Now, whenever you look at the book of Acts, you can't help but ask the standard question. uh, Whether this is kind of standard or exceptional, something that theologians refer to as the issue of uh, uh, unity and uh, continuity. Continuity versus um, discontinuity, rather. And in that time, there's, of course, the coming of the Holy Spirit and people speaking in languages they didn't even know. There was significant healings, arrests and imprisonments and kind of church discipline that resulted in death, the martyrdom of Stephen, and a lot of persecution. And the question is, should we expect these things to be happening today? Now, if you're more inclined, uh, charismatically, you might say, yes. Others would say, Uh, We see some continuity between what happened then and today, but we often also conclude that this was a rather special time and work of the Holy Spirit through the apostles at that time. Yet it seems evident that sometimes God works in similar ways today. And through the years, as you know, there have been times of spiritual revival that resulted in similar demonstrations of the Spirit's presence. And we could well wish and pray that there might be a revival in these days and certainly God is able to do that as beyond sort of the regular uh, ministry uh, in our churches much of the church today of course is under similar kinds of persecution we read about especially in the Middle East and uh, parts of Africa China North Korea parts of Indonesia uh, there's an organization called Open Doors that documents persecution in the 50 most closely watched countries in the world. And many many are killed, uh, 5,989 this last year. Many are imprisoned, 6,176. And uh, churches burned, 5,110. Uh, Open Doors estimates that one... In seven Christians around the world experience significant levels of persecution. And as you can see, uh, it's worse in Africa and even further worse in Asia. So, uh, you know, you can see from this that uh, some 312 uh, million Christians are living under pretty intense persecutions around the world. And then there's us. Persecution in our part of the world <laughs> definitely exists, but it tends to be much more uh, subtle. Christians these days are often blamed, as you know, for various kinds of injustice, discrimination, intolerance, and so on. We could speak of that. So doing the work of an evangelist or sharing the gospel is much more challenging in many ways to avoid persecution. In fact, Christians tend to compromise. That is, sometimes they'll fit in with the culture or they become more passive generally about their faith, maybe more careful about what they say and how they say it, and sometimes even more kind of reclusive. Yet Jesus' command to go and make disciples is still the same as it was, has always been. In any case, the whole point of the book of Acts is about the coming of the Holy Spirit and how his coming resulted in a rather Explosive communication of the gospel and the establishing of churches in the midst of persecution. There are many points of uh, continuity that we see in the book of Acts uh, that we could talk about today. But surely one of them has to do just with the reality of change that God allows to or brings into our lives and how we respond to it. And the persecution of that time was a huge distraction And disruption for the church. It all started with the preaching and martyrdom of Stephen. And a Roman Jew uh, named Saul of Tarsus led it. But its effect in the end was very positive. The Christians were scattered everywhere. And the word was preached to a much wider audience according to verse 4 here of of, uh, Acts 8. And all of this speaks to how disruption occurs in our lives and the good that can come out of it. Only God knows why circumstances in our lives happen as they do, both in the church and in our personal lives. Sometimes things happen because it looks like evil is winning. But for the person who's a follower of Jesus, there's always hope, of which we were singing this morning. Regardless of the intention of others, God is able to bring change for good remember the the uh the words of romans eight twenty eight, and we know that in all things god works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose and this can also be true for some of the difficult things that god allows to come into our lives change of one kind or another is an inevitable aspect of our lives years ago <laughs> The philosopher Heraclitus of Ephesus said, you can never step into the same river twice. I'm not sure where he was going with all of that, but despite the inevitability of change, we never seem to really get used to it. Most often we look at change as an enemy rather than a friend. So we tend to resist difficult change. And we do this because it makes us feel uncomfortable. It introduces new dynamics into our lives which force us to think and to act. We naturally resist change because it rocks our sense of security. It makes us feel like we're losing control. And often the older we grow, the more difficult it is to deal with change. Change takes thought, takes conversation, takes energy. Change is painful, It causes stress in our lives. Even good changes can be rather exhausting at times like a new job or moving to a, a, a new home or having a new baby. <laughs> All these things can uh, produce a bit of stress. Sometimes, as in this story, it seems that God allows change to take place for us to come back to the things that really matter. And in that sense, we might think of change as a friend. And rather than resisting change, over which we have no control, we should see how God can use it to move us to new levels of faith and fruitfulness in what really matters. And in the Bible, we see many examples of this. Joseph, for example, because of the envy of his brothers, ended up being thrown into a well and carried off to Egypt. It was very, very horrible. But there in Egypt, he becomes second in command and is used by God to help his family by grain, during the famine back in Canaan, and this is what he said to his brothers in the end: "You, you intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done—the saving of many lives. Think of that. Think of the changes that God brought to Israel as a nation, both uh, when they were obedient to God and disobedient." to him as well. Sometimes circumstances changed to test their faith, as when they lived in the wilderness. And there were many instances of individual testing and change, as in the case of Abraham and Moses and Isaac uh, and, and Esther to name a few. But the biggest change of all came with the coming of Jesus, even though there were many prophecies concerning Jesus in the Old Testament scripture. His own people didn't recognize him when he came. He came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. They didn't believe what he had to say. And in Luke 4, we read that they, uh, Jesus preached in the synagogue of his hometown. And after that, they tried to push him over a cliff because of the kinds of applications he was making to their lives. And soon after that, he developed a reputation for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, the marginalized people of his day. And when Jesus came, it didn't take long to see that though he was obviously a rabbi, a great teacher, he didn't fit in with what they thought they knew. And his coming produced no small stir. The change was enormous. In Luke chapter 5, 33, he said, it was like trying to sew a new patch on an old garment. or like putting new wine into uh, old wineskins that had lost their elastic quality. Change brings pain. Do not suppose, Jesus said, that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So Jesus was an agent of change. Change did not come easily to the religious Jews of his day. And it also didn't come easily in Paul's time, as he tried to explain the gospel to the Jews. Many mocked his message of saving grace through the cross of Christ. So we should not be surprised if our expressions of faith sometimes causes a disturbance. Change in how we handle it has become a subject of great interest to many, and certainly to me. In fact, uh, this is the essence, or this is sort of the uh, foundational idea in the book that I've written that some of you have um, accessed uh, in the foyer, uh, the, just the... the uh, The change, the tremendous change that's taken place in the last 50 years. And, you know, for someone who's lived through that time, I've certainly become aware of tremendous change. And the question is, why these changes? And the implication of these changes are profound. How they have affected the life of our culture, for one thing, but certainly the the church as well. So, um, uh, you know, you may, if you uh, look at the first... Few chapters there. See an illustration that I want to share with you this morning, that was originally developed by somebody called Virginia Satir, uh, not particularly, uh, not, not not a Christian, I believe, but in any case, an analysis in many ways of what happens in regard to the change process that takes place in our lives. And as you can see from this illustration, <clears throat> you know things may be going along just fine. We we have sort of a status quo. But suddenly, there's a destabilizing event. Suddenly, something happens to upset everything. There's a death. You lose your job. Someone does something to hurt you. There's an accident, a disaster, a loss of one kind or another. And for a time, you're plunged into this valley of chaos. And first, we're inclined to resist this change. And soon, we experience all kinds of negative emotions which we have often have been referred to as stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, and depression, and so on. But then in the midst of that change, there can be a transformational opportunity. And this happens when there's some kind of new insight. Perhaps God touches our heart in some way. Perhaps uh, it's through a message. A, 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 in a in a service or through a book that we read or through a personal encouragement from someone and all of a sudden something happens and we begin to see new possibilities and that's a transformational hope uh, uh moment so hope begins to emerge and in the end the change is viewed in a new way and there's some measure of acceptance and resignation to it yielding sets the stage for new beginnings new growth and new possibilities. I, I, can, I can really identify with this. I don't know about you, but certainly in my experience, I've come to the place sometimes where, I mentioned this last Sunday, where you, where you hit a wall, right? And you think everything's coming apart. And yet God can use that to really, really begin to set new direction in your life. And certainly that was true in, in my experience. So you adopt new ways of thinking and learning. You develop a mindset that enables you to make the most out of your experience. Perhaps you set yourself to study and pray more deeply, to think differently, to make new decisions, to move forward. And I think think this is why God allows these things to happen in our lives, right? Because he's trying to move us into new opportunities for fruitfulness. You reach a new status, reaching higher and further than you were before because of the changes that have taken place. And this is, in fact, what happened in this remarkable story that we read about here in Acts. And as I conclude today, I just want to highlight a few of the ways in which I believe God wants us to embrace change. Um, In the first place, uh, it's a matter of processing change in our own personal lives. And here I'm thinking especially about things that happen to us over which we have no control we may be going along just fine when suddenly something happens that throws us for a loop, a sudden loss of one kind or not another, a health issue, a work issue, a relationship issue. And grieving, of course, is an inevitable part of difficult change. But ultimately, how we respond to these experiences can make a huge difference in our lives. And in the first place... We should look at them from God's perspective. Because we believe our lives are in his hands. We should ask how God is using this change. To get our attention. Did this change occur because of sin? Or simply because God wants to do something deeper. Some deeper sanctifying work in our lives. Or for the purpose of reaching more people with the gospel. We need to remember that. Trial in our lives isn't necessarily always because of sin. Remember when Jesus said what Jesus said in response to the question from his disciples about the blind man. Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Or maybe as I recall it was from the Pharisees uh, that were challenging him. Jesus said neither this man nor his parents but that this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. But it's good for us to pray as things occur in our lives. Search me, O God, and know my heart, as David did, and see if there is some wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So we need to let God examine our hearts. Sometimes this takes time. If there's sin, we need to confess it. Too often, we aren't honest about sin, but then also consider how God may have allowed something because he wants you to go deeper to grow so more people can come to believe. Then it's a matter of processing change in the church. As you know, much of my pastoral work in recent years has been with churches that are suddenly thrust into change. And most often, but not always, the church is going through change because of difficulties that have emerged surrounding the pastor's, the previous pastor's resignation. But sometimes, too, churches are simply seeking to know how they can understand their calling better before they hire the next pastor. Regardless, changes in churches can be difficult. Sometimes the changes have come because of sinful attitudes, because of idolatries that have developed of one kind or another. But maybe God simply wants to take the church deeper. I think of this verse in uh, John uh, 15, verse 2. Where Jesus says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So that it will be even more fruitful. And in the end, the issue is always about how to go deeper in trusting God and following him. And this has been one of the lessons God has taught me or us through the difficult changes that God has brought into our lives. He uses changes to do some pruning in our lives. Then there's a matter of processing uh, God's purpose through change. That he is an agent of change, especially through the gospel. Why did God allow this persecution to take place in Jerusalem at this time? Well, because God cares deeply about people. And more and more people heard the gospel. And uh, no doubt this is still his greatest concern today. That the world may know, and even in the midst of all the crazy things that are happening in the world... The thing that is upon his heart is that more and more people through this might come to know him. And so uh, that's uh, what uh, calls us to be agents of change. John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. So as we open up our lives to the ministry of the Spirit We should expect that it will result in a greater understanding of the gospel and a commitment to make it known in the world. And through this transition that you're going through as a church, one of the questions we'll want to explore is how God wants to use your church in these days to be an agent of change through the gospel here and around the world. Have you been going through some difficulties? Has there been a, a change in your experience? Are you trying to, at this time, process what that means? I hope that this message this morning uh, can be an encouragement to you. Um, who was it? James writes, when all kinds of trials or, or trials, tribulations, difficulties come into your lives, don't, don't reject them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to produce in you A quality of endurance. And let the process go on until you become mature in that process. Here's our final question. How might God want to use change in your life or in the church for your ultimate good or for the expression of his kingdom? You know, we've gone through changes in our experience and in our family in our lives. And uh, it's been tough. But you know, God's God's been using it for good and we keep trusting him and praying for that outcome and I hope you are as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this story in the book of Acts that talks about tremendous turmoil and change that came to these believers. We identify with them because uh, they're part of the church that we're part of. <clears throat> and uh, I thank you so much for the for the outcome of what happened there, and how this can happen in our lives through, too, through the difficult things that, that happen, I pray for any of this morning who are, who are struggling, uh, with, um, the changes that may have come about, recently, or maybe even a while ago. I pray, Lord, that you will give them hope, because of Jesus. There's always hope as we look at things from His perspective. Get our eyes back on him. I pray this for your people today. Pray this uh, for me, for my wife and I, for our family. I pray that we might put our eyes on you. Trust you for good things to come through the difficulties that come. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if we're ready to conclude. Yeah.